week's guest is Ellen Slots, who joins us from sunny and warm Orlando, Florida. Ellen currently runs her own business, providing beverage consulting to small businesses that are trying to gain momentum and increase their presence in the industry. Ellen originally developed a passion for wine after graduating from college. After moving to Chicago to attend graduate school, Ellen continued pursuing this passion for wine while she spent a number of years working in numerous roles as a program director for a nonprofit organization, marketing manager for a real estate company, and an event director for a conference production company. It was after spending several years working in corporate America that Ellen decided to turn her passion of wine into a career and soon found herself working as a server, bartender, manager, event director, sommelier, and beverage director. It was this passion for wine that led to Ellen discovering her true calling to working in the hospitality industry and which led her to running her own business today. Enjoy the show. All right, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. What's happening with you, sir? I don't know. Not much. Enjoying a lovely long weekend up here in Canada. That's it's right. Thanksgiving Day weekend when we record this. As we're recording now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Oktoberfest is in full bloom in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo here. That's right. The second largest Oktoberfest outside of Munich, I believe. That's correct. And then third is Cincinnati, which I think is weird. Well, Kitchener being weird number two is... Uh, That's also weird. Yeah. We did a little bit of it on the weekend, and it sure was, uh, yeah, it was uh, what it was. They updated the venue to the times. So that was a nice yeah. change. We didn't have to drink another Molson Coors is no longer the main sponsor. It was nice not to have to drink Coors Light. Mm-hmm. Thank God. We actually got German beers and microbrewery beers. I was, that was exciting. It was pretty good. Yeah, they finally figured it out. Also killed all the bar business for the weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That was great for me. Yeah. Uh, this it all Friday, Saturday? Friday was uh, below average. Saturday was one of the worst nights we've had in a long time. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, the first full year after the pandemic kind of here, was it would feel a little bit more comfortable going out, I think. So fuck it. Yeah. No. All right. <laughs> we should have one weekend of Oktoberfest and that's it. Yeah. We don't need a week of it. Anyway. It's actually multiple weekends now. It's down like it's up to it's like three, four weekends now. Oh, terrific. Yeah. That's terrific. Well, all right. Enough about my problems. That would be a six-part episode. <laughs> we already did that one. Yeah. <laughs> if we, if, we uh, if you are in the Kitchener-Waterloo area and you don't like drinking beer out of plastic cups and listening to polka music, then you should come to one of my bars um, in the Tri-City area. We have Sugar Run in Kitchener downtown. That's the speakeasy. Check at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram for all the events going on there. And then Uptown Waterloo, we have Babylon Sisters at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram to find out what's happening there. DJs on the weekends. And then in Preston, Ontario, uh, it's the Argyle Arms where we have lots of live music, trivia night, music bingo at Argyle underscore arms underscore 2023 to find out what's going on there. What else? If uh, if you like what we're doing here on the show, you should subscribe, rate, review the show. That helps us out. If you want to be a guest on the show, it's uh, at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. You can DM us or you can email us directly, info at theindustrypodcast.club. And Zach Hanna is the man who does all the artwork on the um, Instagram page. So that's at zachhanna.co. Check him out for all of your graphic arts needs. Mm-hmm. And as always, as I mentioned, all those links we talk about are always in the show notes. So check those out. You can find everything we talk about there. All right. So I think that's enough about us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should bring in our guest for the evening, Ellen Slots, coming to us from Orlando. How are you, Ellen? Excellent. Thank you, guys. Great day over here. 
Thanks. <laughs> Don't know what the like. Looks a little nice and sunny yeah. where you are. Yeah, yeah. here it's been actually. Uh, we had great weather last Monday. It was like 28 Celsius here. Today it's six. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. we're full into uh, fall mode here. So nice. that happens now. Two seasons. Yeah. Winter, and summer. Winter and summer. That's all we get anymore. Or winter construction actually seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ellen. So let's talk a little bit about to start out with uh, about how you sort of cracked into the service industry. What was your first gig? When did you decide it was kind of what you wanted to do? Yeah. So I think as with much like most people growing up in the United States, more specifically, I think when you're in your teenage years, you get your first job doing whatever you can do. Right. <laughs> and that's usually working in a restaurant or working in retail. And I chose a restaurant. Um, so, you know, going throughout just to make money, just to try to be able to afford going to the movies and paying for gas and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I then thought that I would go and pursue corporate America and go down that road of traditional education, getting my college degree, getting my bachelor's, not just bachelor's, but master's degree too. And I'm working in corporate America um, as a program director for a nonprofit organization, as a conference producer, as a marketing um, manager as well for like real estate and all that, all those other ventures uh-huh. and avenues that kind of kickstart people that then want to do something more in that area, which I didn't really know. But I, once I graduated college, I went on this trip along because I grew up in Southern California, went on this trip along the coast of California and was with my friends and we hit wineries. And going in college, you drink like the crappiest, shittiest stuff that you could find because it's the cheapest, right? right. Like, yeah. so, so there's no way, shape, or form, even considering wine as an area of like something that would be of interest. And when we went up to this little wine trip, went to Paso Robles, went up to the winery. It was Rota Winery. Uh, I think they changed their name recently, but went in and I thought wine was so pretentious and I thought it was like that's not something that people my age drink that's something older people drink Mm -hmm. and when I went up to wineries I was like well let's just see let's check it out and I realized quickly that it was much more than that it was a farm community and the whole city at that time hadn't been really established so this was like you know 15 18 years ago hadn't really been established to the point that it's it's been established to today. And it was very humble and everybody was very welcoming and they would give you wine and they would give you like something to eat with the wine so you can understand the flavor profile. So I had this Zinfandel with like a chocolate covered cherry uh, and then they were like, try it together. And I just never thought like, why would this be important? And it's, there was just those, that aha moment, like, oh my gosh, I never... I never realized these actually go together. And I never really thought about like what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, because, you know, it's like, I don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) It's like whatever I can get. Right. So um, from there, I, even though I was pursuing corporate America, it always kept on the back end, like a, a blog of food for myself, food and wine and drinks as I was developing. And as I was learning about it, because on my own, that was just something that I was interested in. Um, when I was working as a program director for a nonprofit organization, I just got so fed up one day. I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning. At that time, I was married and I turned to my uh, now ex husband, but I turned to him and I was like, I'm, I'm done. 
I'm done with this world. Like I want to do what I'm actually interested in and I want to do something. I can utilize my skills, hone in on that and apply them to the service industry in some way, shape or form. And I was like, are we good though? If I do it, he's like, yeah, you do you. And I was like, okay, perfect. And so I started working back as a server and doing like brunch gigs on the weekends. And, um, and I loved it. I loved the hospitality of it. I loved knowing what people wanted to explain to me that they wanted, but not knowing how to explain it. And then me figuring it out and then satisfying that, you know, like Mm -hmm. that to me is an element of like, yeah, I got it. Like I, I I wanted to help you and I wanted you to understand, (laughs) like I can do that and I can be there for you. So that just was like on a surface level, very satisfying for me and what kept me in continuing to engage in the hospitality industry. In addition to that, there was a lot of support for education and to help me do exactly what I was doing on my own, but, you know, in, in like a structured environment for, for my job, you know, just to serve. And then I got into bartending and then became, and then I thought maybe I'd do events or weddings for a small wine a shop and realized that was a little too corporate. (laughs) (laughs) And then I became a GM and then a beverage manager. And I had at at that point achieved enough knowledge and education in wine. uh, And that is a certified SOM. And and then went down that road and went into being a psalm for two Michelin star restaurant and then working in myself down the line to the East Coast because this is more in the Midwest where I was in Chicago. Um, but working down to the East Coast and then becoming a psalm and then eventually a beverage director for a five-star Forbes hotel at Faina in Miami. Um, and then COVID hit. Right. And... And, you know, that's, you got to make cuts wherever you make cuts. So um, I was one of the cuts. And and as businesses started to come back, there was a lot of businesses that were looking to, looking for the people who had been in their previous positions, but like the best of the best, not to toot my own horn. Because no. you know, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like just to try to bring in people who are of really high positions and were able to manage, you know, like over $13 million worth of inventory kind of thing. And so people were asking me to interview and I realized what they were asking was for me to do three jobs for the price of one. And so I said, hold up. (laughs) I see that you guys need some help and I'm happy to help, but let's let me just get you guys let me try to help to get you guys back on your feet revamp the program because it's been a minute try to figure out how to deplete your inventory at a reasonable cost and then like cut me out after that like you you, you're looking for operations more so than you're looking for my expertise Mm -hmm. and i can i can just help you on the back end so i kind of constructed my own business out of that wow and and helping, but really, it was like through interviews that I was able to get these jobs. <laughs> so, um, innovative way to to try to get some work in there. Um, but COVID had been going like up and down for a lot of businesses in Miami, and um, so it kind of branched out to wherever 
other people were offering or interested in. And some of those places lasted, some of them didn't because of unfortunately not enough support and financial culpability uh, to survive. And then this past year, I've I took more like a hiatus because uh, of family uh, needing my attention and personal reasons for 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 that matter. So I was I've been on on the travel bug a little, where <laughs> right. yeah. I go see my go see my family more and then take care of them. Yeah, and so I'm hoping to finally settle in Orlando. <laughs> stay put for a minute <laughs> and uh we'll see what happens from there but if i can transfer that i mean i've all the skills that i've acquired everything that i've gained out of my experience in the hospitality industry i feel so confident will be no problem to transfer here in orlando i mean it's not like a far leap and i feel like whenever you're in that position where you've learned and gained so much experience that that goes everywhere so mm-hmm. So, like, basically, what you would say, essentially, is your decision to kind of get back into the hospitality industry kind of came from your love of realizing that you got excited about wine uh, and started doing the education there. So what you were living in Chicago for the working at the nonprofit, right? Yeah. And I was living there for 10 years, almost 10 years. Yeah. And so were you working in restaurants in Chicago as well then? Yeah. Yes. So when you decide to quit the corporate job, you were still living in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that so that's when you sort of started to get back into it. And so you're taking obviously all the wine courses to try and get your sommelier dis- uh, designation, and you're working in Michelin star restaurants at the same time. No, I in order to get hired to the Michelin star restaurants, I needed to complete obviously the course but certification but also just have some experience to be able to speak to the food and to the wine because that level is obviously a different level right (laughs) it's a little harder to to enter into the hospitality industry on a michelin like two michelin star restaurants so you need a little more experience (laughs) right yeah i would imagine uh so were you working did you work in bars or restaurants before those in chicago Yes, I worked with like Let Us Entertain You. Um, I, oh gosh, with a lot of a lot of different big groups like Gibson and Publican Publican Quality Meats. I forgot what that group was called. It's been a minute. <laughs> and then like smaller mom pops places there too. And then Acadia was the two Michelin star restaurant that I was that I was working at. So when you're so you're obviously doing a bunch of these courses while you're working in these other spots. So you're at the time you're thinking forward, like at what point do you where you're like, okay, I, I want to be a psalm because that takes like some serious dedication and a lot of study. So it usually it's kind of like I mean, I took a few of the wine courses and I was like, okay, that's enough for me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I, I've got the knowledge I need to do what I need to do at my job. And I was just like, I just didn't have the time to do the, to keep going with it. But I've always kind of wanted the, the extra knowledge, but it's just, at some point you either decide to go for it or you just kind of say, okay, that's enough. I've, I got enough to, that I can make a cool wine list and like, et cetera. Right. But so at what point do you decide, no, I'm so passionate about this. I actually want to be a song. Well, part of me, so I'm also like first generation American. My mother is Spanish and Italian and my father is Danish. And so I grew up in a household that's like more of European culture. Mm-hmm. And 
And like understanding culture is so important to me because of the vast difference and, you know, like the dichotomy of my own home growing up, (laughs) that it was like, I want to understand, I learned as I was learning about wine, that it's also more than just the growing process. It's about like how it applies to different, like different flavors go to different foods, go to different cuisines, go. It's just a whole experience. And that to me, was something that as I was working in different restaurants with different cuisine types, I would start to see that why is this wine more important here? And this wine is not important here. When I was working just at a restaurant that it was like, you know, a steakhouse versus an Italian restaurant or mm-hmm. versus like uh, an Asian restaurant. And it was like, why are these all different and varied? And there would be a lot of training and education behind uh, getting hired and being able to produce like that level of serving to serve or to bartend that you needed to know there's really like rigid standards that you needed to know why this was actually important. And if you didn't understand that because it was so neglected a lot in a lot of other places, then you fail on your sales and then you fail on your tips and then you fail yeah. on getting paid as much as you can get paid, you know? Right. So yeah. for for me, it was like, well, that's interesting already, but now I recognize that there's a financial element to like the more you know, the more you can sell. Right. And but not just to like sell to oversell, but to sell in the appropriate manner to people who are looking for something and you know what they what 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 you have to offer, right? Right. So. I think that's the big thing right there is like the us <laughs> getting back to the fact that because a lot of people I know many people have gone down the road of wine courses, whatever, and like you're proud of the knowledge that you've accrued. But a lot of people tend to use it as like almost like giving speeches to the guests, like "Look how much I know about wine," right? And and then oh the guest God. does not give a fuck. Like <laughs> they, they like, don't. don't they fucking don't. Care, no, no, they just they <laughs> want you to shut the fuck up and maybe recommend some wine or just give them the wine they ordered in the first place, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I really like 100%. how you were like uh, that. That's always my approach. And when I talk to my the people who work with me, the uh, the same approach for them is like find out what the guest is looking for and then help them. But like, if you don't know what the guest wants in the first place, then how? Like, just going up and giving them a speech about wine is not helpful to anyone. Absolutely not. No, and I'll tell you that I've worked in several different restaurants, and I had regulars come back not because I sold them the most expensive bottle of wine, but because they told me like I want a Sancerre, and I said, okay, let do you want a traditional? Like, do you want something just dry, traditional? I'm like, yeah, great, got it. And it would be a seventy dollar bottle Sancerre, whatever. They would order five bottles of it. They're like, I can't believe you didn't suggest the $200 bottle of Sancerre that's on the list. And I was like, because I know, because I know based off of what you are ordering for food and based on just a brief description of the flavor profile that you told me that you're not going to be happy with the $200 bottle. And then you're going to feel like you got ripped off. Right. And then, you know, like you're not going to come back and return regulars are much more valuable than and like yeah okay you can have one bottle you can have two bottles you have five bottles at seventy dollars and you know what it's worth more because the experience is going to be better and just with simple math seven 
bottles of $50 wine are more expensive than one bottle of $200 bottle of wine, right? And so that's the other thing. Is, like, you got to, like, the, if you see a group of people there and you know, okay, that group is only going to, you can kind of flesh out that they're only going to have one bottle of wine, then maybe that's when you can recommend the more expensive one, right? But if you look, if they sure. look like the type of group that's going to be having multiple bottles, why not just give them something in a decent price range that's that pays off? Yeah. And then they don't feel like they got cheated or ripped yeah. off or anything. And that's another element of the experience when you're dining out. You know, you don't want to have that like sour taste in your mouth about, oh, I didn't really want to spend that much money right. on something I'm not that happy with. Or I also feel less. like some, sometimes it's good to like recommend like a couple different ones in a couple different price ranges and then let them make the decision. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, yes, 100%. That, and I and I I do that as well, but it's um, but it's but it's like a you know when you're when you're looking at a general table and you're looking at the group, you're like, is it a group of friends? Is it a family? Is this mm. like what kind of? It's so many different psychological yeah. assessments about what am I? What makes sense? And what are they going to be happy with? And um, you know they they can look at the list and then it's like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for something? And I and I have no shame to and also saying, what is your budget? If they don't know anything to say about like what they're looking for, and like what, just tell me what you're looking for to spend on a bottle, mm-hmm. and and people will be very honest. They'll say just whatever you recommend. So yeah. whatever, or they'll say I don't really want to spend more than a hundred dollars on a bottle. But great, I can find you something then. Yeah, like, and I'll and I'll give some range in price and. And then sometimes they vary. I've gotten people who have said, I don't want to spend more than $50 on a bottle. And I'll show them a couple of options and then they'll look and they'll be like, oh, no, I don't want a Rioja. No, I don't want a, a Surtico. Mm, I kind of want like a deep oaky Chardonnay. And I'm like, okay, well, then, then I can yeah. show you what's on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The money's, the, the dollar value is going up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> we we could talk, we could have that conversation. Yeah. I can show you what's good, but yeah, it's it's gonna vary. But yeah, there is a, there's an op- an opportunity to gauge what people are interested in and what they want, making them feel comfortable and making them feel that they don't have to kind of pull up their guard about on their wallet. You know, like right. We don't, all- don't want to do that. I've also found the opposite though, where you sometimes are maybe recommending. Like trying to be, I don't know what the right word for it is, but like trying to be like ballers. Yeah, well, or just like you're you're trying to recommend something in like a, a lower price range, so it doesn't look like you're trying to force feed them on like a, a expensive bottle of wine. And I've had them get almost insulted, like you don't think they can afford the higher price bottle. Have you had that happen to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I've had someone go, oh no, I'm I'm looking for something a little bit more. Now, granted, I don't know if this is also because although we don't want to say it, it exists in this world. I'm a woman, so if, I, <laughs> if I'm saying this to to like a man who's ordering, yeah. he's like, oh no, no, no. We need the we can we can go through the roof and I'm like okay great yeah. here's a seven thousand dollar bottle <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no uh, problem I'm happy to offer that <laughs> do you, do you find that most people who are coming to restaurants like that like what I've never worked in a Michelin star restaurant I've worked in fine dining before though and I know that it attracts a certain type of person do you find like how how do you find the like 
I'm trying to figure out how to word this properly, but how do you find the guests in general at a, like at a Michelin star restaurant? Is it like crazy snobby? Are most of them just like regular people who just happen to have a lot of money or like, what do you like? What, what's you, been your experience? <laughs> have you, have you ever seen the movie, the menu? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm assuming none of these experiences had the same ending, but <laughs> right. Right. But it's the people you get such a diverse crowd of people, people who just want to show off that they have money. Right. And people who don't care and who uh are like taking business meetings or whatever, and this is like a business expense, or people who are uh Cheating on their spouse. What? <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> <laughs> or, or people who are so obsessed with the chef right. or the owner uh, that yeah. they're like fangirling out so hard. Right. Like there's the one guy in that movie that you're talking about that like is like just obsessed with the chef. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering like how realistic some of those depictions are. I've also seen that movie what's the one with fucking um bradley cooper oh yes where he's trying to yeah he's trying to gain a michelin star uh, for his restaurant yeah yeah and they had all these rules about like uh oh the you can tell them if they drop a fork or whatever the that like it it is that crazy is it really yeah it is that crazy burnt Mm. that's the movie thank you yeah yeah Um, okay interesting yeah it's like a quiet kitchen and like everything needs to be wiped down and you can you your hands cannot be in your pockets they have to be by your side you can't have them behind your back you can't fold your arms everything needs to be on alert and ready and when chef says something you have to repeat it back and say yes chef or heard chef or repeat exactly what it's being said to you chef like oh, and that's where that goes on okay i was just wondering about that when i watch some of these little small documentaries and i'm like why is everyone responding like they're in the military here oh fuck we get that i we get it that is. even in kitchener waterloo with guys who who's think they're bigger deal than they are uh, <laughs> there's still that still goes on in kitchens like everywhere like because i think people have watched too much of this shit and they think well like here's the difference you're not a michelin star chef you're a just a chef <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but i mean even in like food trucks and stuff like it's important because i've been in situation i've been in a situation where i was working in a restaurant and one of the cooks in the kitchen took out the grates from the oven and put it on the floor because oh it was God. hot. Sure. And, sense to one. <laughs> <laughs> and and put it on the floor because it was hot and they didn't have like the appropriate gloves on uh, or whatever. Yeah. And closed the oven and the man and then another like porter who had hot oil walk by and step on the grates and slip. Oh my God. It, yeah. He's he's like kind of blind now. Holy as God. a result. Yeah. But like So yeah, it's good to have the so procedures like, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but so but like he didn't say anything to anybody about like putting the grate on the floor or like right. like chef hold up like I need I need to do this and then chef would have been like heard stop kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. There's you it know. started from a good space. 
Like the the reason that we, that that whole those whole procedures started was because it was for safety purposes and yeah. to run a functional kitchen. But then it has expanded to like an ego thing in many respects as well. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I I say I like to all my friends. I'm like yeah, herd chef <laughs> 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 or great. herd. So Heard, yeah, like <laughs> for, for you working in a place like that, and like if you don't want to answer this question, you don't have to. But if you, how old were you when you first started working at like your first Michelin star restaurant? I was twenty seven, so super young. And like, what was that like mentally for you going to work in that environment at that age? Like, it must have been crazy stressful, and it, I can't imagine it was very fun. It wasn't fun. No. So I was working, I was was working two jobs actually at that time. I was bartending brunch shifts and at this like kind of local bar (laughs) that's like whole roasted meats and stuff. And it was like very casual. Like you could like drink on the job and stuff. Nobody cared. (laughs) And then I would switch shifts and work at night at the Michelin star restaurant and the Michelin star restaurant paid good money because it was I mean mm. it's, it's a good restaurant and yeah. and I needed the money uh anyway so I it was just like all right just suck it up like I'm only working here three four shifts a week because they're not open all week right. you know they're closed and it was just like every time and it was like every it just felt like you know when you're constantly being like judged and criticized for how you folded your napkin and everybody you'd go around the room and everybody would have to describe the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh course in detail and their own version of how they would have to describe it. And if you varied from what everybody else said, then you may not be on the floor that night. Wow. Wow. Jesus. So, yeah. That's so crazy. it was like, if you didn't know, and if you, if it was like, okay, if there's a gluten allergy, what's not, what's being, what's a substitution and how do you describe it? And how, like, what course does that affect, you know, and stuff like that. And and that's important. It's important, but it was like everybody, even back servers, front servers, manage, of course, managers, bartenders, everybody had to know. And yeah, that, yeah. that's crazy. That's like, yeah, so I can imagine it'd be pretty like did you find yourself getting really stressed out on your way to work? Um I, I didn't because it was I had such a juxtaposition for my day. Right. <laughs> yeah. You were coming up a good you had a few drinks in you from your brunch shift, so <laughs> I'm like I'm like I get to chill and hang out with yeah. like regular people and like shoot the shit and I was next to a tattoo shop. So it was like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get all sort of people coming by and then and then you go back into robot mode. Right. <laughs> well is that is that kind of how you deal with it? You sort of shut your brain down and go into robot mode? Yeah. yeah, you have to. I mean, it's only like a few hours and it's not every day and it's not the only thing that was occupying my time. So right. it was just like, okay, like, what can I take away from this? What can I learn from this? And every every day was really something new. It was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. So when we meet in class, we're changing it up. And now all of a sudden, it's like we have a different setup for how the tables get set and now mm-hmm. a different setup for where the wine glasses go and a different setup for how food gets dropped because everybody's doing everything. Like I was a food runner. I was a server. I was the thumb. Like 
I was everything but actually the bartender in like the Michelin star <laughs> restaurant because it's such a small uh, amount of employees and mm. it's, a, it's a, it was a smaller restaurant. So everybody jumps in and it's like you were just polishing glasses and back where in the back um, of the restaurant and such and like polishing silverware and stuff. It didn't matter. Everybody Mm. was hands on deck. And it was because like if you did, if you weren't passionate about what you were doing and about the industry and about providing the service, then you didn't belong there and you would be gone. Yeah, and so, like you, you basically have to have that passion to work in a place like that. Like you, you can't be the person who is just trying to put themselves through college, ex- right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and you also, luckily, because you were the psalm, a large part of your job is getting to talk about something that you were super passionate about all the time, and that's always going to be different based on the table you're dealing with. So that, yes. yeah, yeah. So that I can yes. see that. So, what made you decide to move to Miami and start working at this hotel? So I ended up getting a divorce. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that guy who was just so supportive of you. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I was um, <laughs> uh, ended up getting a divorce. We'll just say we had our differences. And I had no family. I, I didn't have any family in the Midwest. I'm yeah. in Chicago. And he was from the Midwest, so I stayed there specifically because we were married. Um, but my, uh, so I was like, well, now that we're getting divorced, uh, I want to go be closer to family. Right. And my dad lives in Southern California, and my other brother lives at that time. He lived in Reno um, with my sister-in-law and my nephew, and then my other brother lived in Miami who wasn't married. And I was like, out of the, and my mom lives in Panama in Panama country. Panama. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, out of these <laughs> <four> <laughs> options <laughs> and I'm coming off a divorce. So right. like, where am I going? Yeah. <laughs> you made the right call there. It sounds like <laughs> we go to one of the most funny, fun cities in North America and hang out with your brother. Who's also not married. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Um, it's also it's also a good time. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he's he helped me um you know kind of figure out life, I guess. And he's mm. like, Yeah, come stay with me. And he's like, Don't worry, in Miami, like there's just there's so much possibility and opportunity and uh you can choose to do whatever you want here especially with your experience so i was like okay great and so 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 many bars and restaurants right like it's crazy there so so much and it's so based on tourism and it's and he's like there's not even like a low season really but there is but he's like still like it's still better than Chicago, which right. yeah. <laughs> when when it's snowing for like nine months, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a little different, a little different. Yeah. So I went down to Miami and I initially interviewed with Thomas Keller restaurant that was just opening up. And because I was thinking Michelin star, go to Michelin star mm-hmm. chef. And uh, even though only recently did Miami, did Florida get michelin um a michelin guide in general but i was like at least i know then that's uh, credible enough that if it's thomas keller who is michelin star chef 
is doing restaurant, then it's going to be of a certain caliber. And then mm-hmm. they'll, that'll be good. Um, but unfortunately, by the time I got down to Miami, it was towards the near end of when they were hiring for this new restaurant that they were opening. But the uh, hiring manager was like, but I will recommend you to this other spot uh, based on your background and everything. And they're looking for somebody and help me out. And I got the job within Faina as a psalm for one of the restaurants to start. And then from there, went to lead psalm um, quite, quite quickly, too. Like within three three months, four months of my time being there. And then from which meant that I was a lead psalm for several of the outlets I'm managing for dinner service and the inventory, of course. And then I was in that position for a few months and then (laughs) catapulted to beverage director, which was for the district, which was, which was like 11 different bars (laughs) responsible for and managing. Um, But I had the capability before then do it was a stretch i mean i definitely got gray hairs after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a lot 11 spots like Ooh, crazy like in-room dining private events um you know there was another bar there was they were opening up two bars two additional bars at their smaller hotel that was within the district and then like the nightclub and the pool bar and the three restaurants that they have there on property too it was just yeah, and the other additional pop-ups like the pool and beach stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was a lot. It was a learning experience. It was all-consuming of my time. I for can sure. imagine. Yeah, which uh, probably impeded on your ability to party in Miami with your brother. But a hundred percent. I had a, I had a good run when COVID came about. <laughs> <laughs> Especially down there, it was wide open still, wasn't it? Basically, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, and then the stimulus checks kept coming, so yeah, fine. Like bring a case of beer over. <laughs> <laughs> so then you got the consulting into the sort of consulting realm of it, and like, what's the plan now that you've sort of done your traveling? You're settled in Orlando. What's next for Ellen? So um, I think what I've been debating about is trying maybe the distribution side Mm. or even going into being like an ambassador for a winery and going that route. I was initially going to take up a job that allowed that was that position, that that role um, before, like right at the start of COVID, but COVID lasted too long and the winery wasn't able to finance you know, the job, yeah, <laughs> the job. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that still is something that's been entertaining in my mind. Um, but now I'm in a new location. And so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what possibilities there are for that. And maybe just trying to figure out different, different breasts, maybe try to go back into a restaurant just to see what connections would be made because yeah. why not? Yeah. 
Well, why the, not? Why not? <laughs> uh, well, it's been super awesome talking to you, Alan. It's, you have a great story, and I'm sure whatever you get move on to next, you're going to be super successful at. You seem very driven. So, thanks so much for doing thanks. the show. It's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to promote social media wise before we let you go? Uh, I mean, no. Okay, great. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Okay. I mean, well, drink champagne is my suggestion. But. Yeah, there you go. That is. <laughs> well, this, that, this has been super fun, Al. Thanks so much for giving us your time, and best of luck with everything. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks a Thank ton, you guys.